sometimes people get value from having a full calendar or all their time is blocked off and I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. Like, I think at one point that is who I was, but I think over time I've also become, I've just become much more protective of my time. And when that's allowed, it's more concentrated work. Kayum, it's very good. I'm very happy to have you on the podcast. Uh, I've been trying to get together and to get to meet you. And uh, we ran into each other like three years ago. And uh, yeah, it's how you've been. It's been good. It's been uh, it's been a really busy year. Uh, we've been well. I started a new venture in the start of 2020. Mm. Uh, it was kind of not born out of COVID, but started before that. And you know, between that and working with a few other startups on uh, some different ideas, it's just been a year of really good people, really good lifestyle, and just working on engaging, interesting things. And you know, when you're just in that space where you're you know you're mentally stimulated, uh, the year passes by so fast. So I've been very fortunate. Excellent. So what is your new startup about? So my new startup is called ESG Analytics. And that is, ESG stands for Environmental, Social and Governance. Uh, and so in that space, in the ESG space, on the, in the investment front, we're increasingly looking at non-financial metrics for companies. So how they perform, you know, for gender diversity, for mm. board representation, their corporate governance, their environmental impact. Uh, so this is known as ESG, and it's a huge space. It's where all the money is going from pension funds and stuff like that. The oh, problem wow. is there's actually not that much coverage in the space. So the big firms typically use analysts to do due diligence paper-based or looking at financial reports and things like that. And they're used to using data that companies disclose. So actually, like only like 8,000 companies are actually covered from an ESG perspective where they're given mm-hmm. an ESG rating or something like that. So... What we're doing is we're using artificial intelligence, we're using unstructured data, or, um, alternative data to create automated tools to assess a company's and country's ESG impact. And with this, we're able to do things in real time. We're able to cover a much broader selection of companies. So for example, we cover 60,000 companies and we're able to de- deliver things in a way that actually makes intuitive sense. So we have a web platform uh, and an API to allow investors uh, and advisors to use this kind of data to make better uh, informed decisions from an ESG perspective. And you said you started this at the start of 2020? Yeah, we officially incorporated in June, um, mm. but I was I started coding the initial platform in February and uh, we were in stealth mood all the way. And then October 26th, we launched our first version platform, which was already beta tested because that's what we've been doing the whole time uh, from there. And so now we're working with our first uh, first few customers, uh, they're on board, giving us good feedback features, and we're just growing steadily from here. Oh, cool. And how did yeah. you come up? Like, is that a, a space that you've been interest, interested in for a while? Why yeah. did you start in this space in particular? It's a combination. You know, my entrepreneurial journey has got me to the point where now I can code properly. And so now, uh, you know, my background is financial. So I'm a CFA charter holder, and I started my career in asset management, portfolio management, you know, before mm. going into the startup route. And now it's like everything in my life has come full circle because I get to work on really purely financial data. And uh, you know what got me into tech initially was data science. So learning uh, data processing and all that kind of stuff. And so now it's you know ESG from a financial perspective, company analysis, uh, data stuff, building tech platforms, it's all kind of come together. And the reason I got into ESG initially was actually because I was kind of scornful of ESG. 
because of all the money coming in, there was so much marketing uh, towards, you know, what's a green company, what's a ESG branded company. And so all of these investment funds and ETFs were launching, you know, the S&P sustainable version or Mm. uh, this ESG ETF. And this is what's being marketed to people. If you want to be a responsible investor, you want to be a socially conscious investor. Great. Sounds really good. You look at the top holdings of all these funds and it's like Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, the same as like (laughs) S&P 500, the same as everything else. And when you dig deeper, you realize that actually there's not that much ESG coverage. You look at the prospectuses and you're like, are these really the most sustainable companies? Is this, is this what we want? Uh, and the case, it's actually the fact that, you know, with ETFs and funds, they're looking at a volume play. So they're looking at bigger companies that have the liquidity to support this. Not necessarily the most conscious invest, investments, um, but mm. not really giving people what they're trying to vote their dollars for. Uh, and so as we dug deeper, we just realized this gap uh, in the market. So for the coverage and all of that, those components, and once we started coding and just kind of took off from there. And soon enough, we were, we had enough data to build the initial platform and continue conversations. Lots of people came to the board and uh, it's just been a fun journey since. Very interesting. So you saw, when did you start to notice that these things were presented to you and you noticed the discrepancy between what they're promising or what they're saying that they're that they kind of presenting and you saw in your words that there's no difference between what they're offering and like, and, or there's no consistency between what they're saying they're going to offer. And they're not different from other funds. When did you start noticing this? I would say I started noticing that like towards, like it's always been something I've been scornful of, but I saw this one post that actually gave the, the top 20, the top bottom sustainalytics, another company that does the analyst based ratings. There's mm-hmm. the bottom 20 sustainalytics ESG stocks. So basically this is the bottom ESG stocks in the world. And it was like Netflix, Amazon, uh, Walmart, and a few others. And I was just thinking to myself, like, that is not, those might be maybe not the best ESG companies, but they're definitely not the bottom 20 companies in the world from an ESG perspective, right? (laughs) Uh, That just got me to dig deeper. Uh, Because we use alternative data, one thing that also acted as the catalyst was when COVID was first happening, we saw markets really whipsaw. So 30, 40% declines and Mm. so much was happening that you couldn't really wait to get the economic statistics on a month to month basis, right? Like so much was happening during those initial months of COVID. So much was changing that one month was crazy. And so instead of looking at, let's say the month to month changes in purchase managing inventories for economic stuff, you could actually look at open table data and see how many restaurants were being booked every single day in each city. That gave you a more real-time economic indicator. And that's a good example of alternative data. So something that's mm. used as a proxy. So because not every company discloses ESG data, we were thinking, what can we use as alternative data to make these assessments of companies? And that's when we got into you know, NLP and AI and all the other stuff that can help us look at other data to make a judgment even if we don't have that information from the company uh, directly. Interesting, interesting. The word alternative data is a bit scary <laughs> with all of the things that we're dealing with with alternative facts, but I get what you're saying, obviously. Sure. Uh, yeah. So it's it's data that is not, if I get it correctly from what you're saying, it's data that is not directly linked to what you want to measure, but it indicates towards what you want to measure. Is that is that? Yeah, kind it's of just a accurate? non-traditional source of data. I mean, okay. people use this in different forms. Like, you know, you could... A good example is uh, instead of looking at what a car says every, what a car company says their sales are every month, 
some people would buy insurance data from another firm that would tell them how many how many cars have been insured every day. Okay. And actually that okay. becomes a indicator for something else. So just yeah. in the space, there's just different types of data that can be used to make those kind of informed decisions. Oh, that's interesting. So as an entrepreneur, how many, how many startups along the way did you, did you build before building the current startup? What was your journey like as an entrepreneur? Yeah, so for me, it's been, I'd say, a couple of expensive mistakes along the way, but also lots of, lots of learning. So mm-hmm. like I said, I've been involved in finance since I was a kid, uh, but I was always coding a little bit growing up. It's not what I went to school for. Um, and when, when I started iComply in 2017, it was because initially the company I was working for was acquired. It was a, an asset management company. And so that's where I got into the blockchain space. And the reason I got into that space was because I like technology. I was learning data science and programming by myself. And really the, when you talk about finance and technology together, like you get Ethereum, right? That's like the, the blockchain, right? So for me, it was such a, such a powerful um, motivator. I actually have an Ethereum tattoo on my left arm here because that's what it represents to me. Um, and so, but what I did at iComply is I got really the full startup experience, right? I, I'm what I call, I'm what you call like a jack of all trades, master of a few. So mm. I learned how to do the legal, the share structures, the incorporations, the fundraising documents, all of that stuff. I also led our product. So I learned how to code, but also how to lead uh, teams of developers and manage product delivery, mock-ups, you know, stakeholder engagement, all of that. Also built our sales team, learned how to, you know, grow and scale up sales, you know, sales teams and processes. And so all these different components kind of came together. And, you know, over the journey, we raised a bunch of money at that venture, uh, learned a lot of mistakes along the way. It was a very innovative field at that time, but also, you know, getting to know government grants and tax credits and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I went into consultant after that, where while it may not be a specifically entrepreneurial experience, it actually lots of crossovers, right? And each engagement that we did was almost like a little business. Mm-hmm. Um, and so after I comply, I, that's where ESG has come up. So over the last year, um, and I've also been working with a couple other startups where I play a similar role, where I can kind of quarterback, get in a company from an idea on a napkin to a funded company with a product that works, that that journey mm. is kind of where I can be somebody that can come in and get that, get a company from there to there. Um, and so for myself, uh, that's where I play play best. That's cool. So you you've learned quite a bit from what you're saying, and I can I can get that. Um, what was your process like to learn these new fields? Like, uh, walk me through. Let's say in areas especially that you didn't have experience before um, it's it's may sound scary for somebody like hey i don't know these kind of stuff maybe i should hire yeah. someone whatever you were you forced to jump into it did you like to jump into it how did you learn and what drive i love i love jumping into things yeah i love jumping into things um and sometimes it just feels like the right thing to do because i get very tired not tired i get very annoyed when it takes a very long time to do something that i know shouldn't take that long so initially when we were learning to, when I was learning like the ins and outs of, you know, legal agreements, privacy agreements, GDPR, legal agreements, you know, seed round investment agreements, subscription agreements, like we'd go back and forth to the lawyer, it cost 10, 15 grand. And then I started to learn the ins and outs. And honestly, right now with all my startups, with all the things I do, 
like my lawyer reviews what I send, right? I do the first, second, third drafts of legal agreements. I do my own privacy agreements, GDPR agreements. My lawyers will double check to make sure it's all good and then goes, goes from there, right? But I remember at the time doing our GDPR agreements and learning all about privacy, going in each little step of the law and you know, taking examples, copying from different places to come up with something, right? And that's almost like how it worked all, this, all the time. And some things you just learn, right? So I remember doing my first, one of the first mockups I did to hand off to development and I had these three buttons, right? Which is a green one for go, a red one for stop. And then not knowing that people would take things literally, I was just making something pretty. I put a yellow button as well. Two weeks later, devs come back to me and they show me the platform that they built, which looks exactly like it. They're doing a demo, they do all the things and then they click on this yellow button, it doesn't do anything. I'm like, what's this button for? They're like, well, it's the yellow button on the mock-up. I'm like, why do you include it? I'm like, does it do anything? They're like, no. I'm like, why do you include it? They're like, it's on the mock-up. I'm like, oh, right. People will take things exactly as you say them <laughs> along the way. Um, and, uh, but yeah, some things were just very interesting. Like when I first started writing, let's say product requirements for mm-hmm. developers, they were lengthy, right? They were you know, this is what I want to see on the page. Here's a cool user diagram that goes from place to place. And, you know, it's like this 30 page dossier I handed the developers and they're like, this is unreadable. They actually sat down with me, showed me what something should look like and how it needs to be said. But it really came out of this pressure moment of Mm. trying something, it's not working. Okay, let's learn how to do it. And then let me get better at this because those are the things I'm interested in. Um, So just countless combinations like that uh, along the way. So you have, I think, the, the ultimate experience of bringing the finance world where it's, uh, it's, it's really hard. A lot of entrepreneurs right now are, uh, are like afraid of the technical aspect or they need a technical founder. You jumped into, you said you, you liked coding a while back, but then you went to, to finance and now you bring finance and coding together, especially yeah. now with DeFi kind of taking over the world in a, in, in a way and blockchain, do you see that as, as, a, as an important trend bringing forward like the ability to code because everything's becoming more technology driven and the ability to understand finance because <laughs> finance, I mean, the, is, is kind of the essence of how the world functions. Um, yeah. is that, is that, do you see that as, a, as an essential uh, toolkit or skill set for an entrepreneur or for somebody who wants to survive in the, in the world? I think so. I guess it's a mix. I mean, a lot of people are afraid of the tech, but once they jump in, it becomes such a really cool rabbit hole to go into. And I know that myself because when I was first learning data analysis, which is why I got into this, I was learning Python. So Python for data analysis for financial data. And once you learn some Python, you realize, oh, I don't, I can not just use this to analyze a bunch of spreadsheets and databases, but Mm. I can build a whole website with this. I can build APIs with this. And I remember two years ago trying to learn something for the Django web framework and I was getting so lost and confused, but today I'm doing like these production developments. And I always think back to this YouTube video I watched back in the day and I'm like, this is crazy. Like how will I ever learn this? But over time, sometimes it just happens. Um, and the more and more you dive into things, you know, the whole ecosystem comes together between front end and back end and databases and cloud and whatever. So I think for, I think in everyone's role, finance or not, they can see that programming can help them do something better, faster, put their ideas into life, do all these different things. That being said, I think the world's also getting to a place where 
maybe not knowing specifically, you know, straight up code, but also all these platforms are coming out to that allow you to make things in such a different way, right? So I was exploring Google's app sheet the other day, which can mm-hmm. allow you to build an application based on a Google sheet, right? Or Airtable and Zapier combinations, all the no-code tools like bubble.io, like all of these are ways for people to get their ideas to light. So I think one way or another, new tools and processes are essential. Whether they everyone needs to code, I think that's a different uh, question, but I think it's uh, insanely valuable. And the best is when you see somebody's head, like when the light bulb goes off, when they realize, oh, right, analyzing these 2 million lines in Excel would have been nightmare. Uh, that's when it clicks. That's when it clicks. Yeah, for sure. The, the interest in data analytics, uh, it seems like it's something that you were interested in for a while. Yeah. How did you get started? These are all for me, at least for me, the kind of entrepreneur that I am. These are all enigmas. And I usually like, you know what, is there somebody who can do this work better? <laughs> you know, yeah. and I don't have to learn this because I'm more like the big idea strategy kind of, I, I hate details. Yeah. Like you can, I, I, I'm happy to design a whole product and product experience, but don't let me to write one line of code. <laughs> like it's, so so, uh, uh, so one, one thing on that, yeah, actually. Go ahead. One thing on that is uh, I always brand myself as I'm an 80% guy. So I'm not that detail oriented either. I'm high level. And before that used to mean like, you know, high level, not code. But now it's so funny because it translates into code as well. So even with code, I'm high level. Like I'll get you the MVP with all the different components. Everything will work. It'll make sense. It's not, pro- it's not fully production ready. I'll need some <laughs> guy to come in and help me just take that yeah. next step. And that's where the team comes in. But sorry, continue your question. No, that's cool. I, actually, I want to I wanna follow up on that. So when it says, what kind of people do you see that you want to work with that kind of um, complete you? Or maybe a question before that, I'll scratch that. Like, yeah. did, you, did you develop those skill sets because you couldn't find people to execute the way you want or you wanted the freedom what what drove you is it just a matter of passion towards those skills or you needed them to execute walk me through the process of going through that because it's a lot of learning right you're you're someone who can who have people around you from what i know yeah like you're surrounded by people that you can find people to work with what drove you to learn those skills because it takes time yeah i mean i think in finance, it's interesting because the skill is not always tangible. Yeah, you can make financial mm-hmm. models and you can analyze economic data and trends and all that stuff. But programming was always a draw to me because it was tangible. Like you put something in and you can actually see what you create on screen, right? Mm-hmm. And when you're doing tasks, there's a very finite end to it, right? And it's just a little bit different from strategy and business ideas and everything like that. And I love both. So when I first, on the first startup, well, actually the data analysis was coming all the way along because as I was learning financial data analysis, I was getting more involved with Python and the data and all that kind of stuff. So it became as a natural, a natural fit from the work I was doing. But going into more of the technology side, when I first, the first startup, um, honestly, it seemed like a black box to me. I always wondered if I could code or I would never be at that level of different people. That's why I liked developing the products. Um, But as I dove deeper, it just became something that I wanted to continue to learn how to do. And I was lucky enough to have a team that was built and that I could watch, observe and see. Mm -hmm. And before you know it, like now I can do cloud deployments and I can 
create my own backend and I can create my React front end to tie everything together and do the production settings. And honestly, two years ago, I'd have been like, that's so scary to me. But all of a sudden, just by trial and error, by processes, it's it just becomes better and better. And now the difference for me is cost as well. To get to two years ago, I would say to create a development team to do what I could do by myself now with specialized knowledge in six months, I saved myself $350,000 at the start of a startup. You know what I mean? Um, I don't need a back end, front end guy, product manager, or any of those people to get to a working MVP. Hmm. That's where so much of the bulk of the money comes up. So the time from the time from idea to concept to MVP for me has just shortened immensely, and that's now the the driving going forward. And as soon as I can, I have something working. That's where I can start to bin on uh, developers and other people that I know to now take this to the next the next phase. You know, I really relate to what you're saying when it comes to tangible. the The biggest thing for me that you're saying is, for me, the area that I that I involve myself in something that's tangible is design. I, I design the own load, my own load, because it's, it, I, I get what you're saying when you, there is something out of it. Like, there's something yeah. about the strategy and the idea that is not tangible. I completely relate to that because it's not real yet. You can talk and, and you, it's, you can shift strategies and change them. But once you, for me, it's once you create the logo, once you actually design the website. So I, I yeah. usually engage in that and I rely on no code tools to actually build the website and stuff and say, yeah, we're now launched. So I yeah. get I get a little bit of what you're saying. I, I yeah, just, totally. my, my thing is like no code for sure. But <laughs> for me, it's design. Uh, what, what, what's it like right now in regards to the team that you're working with um, and uh, how many of you and what are the next like few things that you're, that you're focused on? Yeah, so right now we're at the post MVP stage. Um, we're focused on growth, but patience, patient, uh, balanced patience is what I like to call it. So we're cap, we're very capital light at the moment, uh, because of, you know, all the things I just mentioned, basically our experience has led us to be capital light. Um, and so my, myself, I'm a technical co-founder. I have a CTO, uh, Patrick, who's, you know, really experienced with the production development and the overall infrastructure and all that kind of stuff, but also who's deep in finance. So both of us together. Uh, are a really good core team. Mm. Uh, we have a couple of contract uh, developers who are pretty awesome. They all have stake in the business as well. Um, and then somebody that runs our marketing. And now we're starting to onboard uh, a couple of people on the sales side. So slowly just growing the, the team as we go, as we go uh, more and more, because the more and more I get involved, the more and more we go on, the less and less time I have to code every day. So right now, at the beginning, it was five days a week coding and slowly it's now three days a week coding and i'm sure in a few months it'll be two days a week coding right so uh, it'll be more expensive over time less fun <laughs> for me <laughs> and just more more things to deal with um so that's kind of where we're at uh, from mm. a team perspective but sorry i think i forgot the first part of the question no that's 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 exactly where the, the part of the question but the and the next steps for you are they fundraising are they getting more more customers uh, or both, obviously. Yeah. And so are these the next phases and why? Yeah, so that's a really good question. So we right now have a few clients on the platform. So our initial clients that we, some of them had actually come from early, early beta testing who are now paying clients. So we have a few of them on the platform. They've gone in and they're testing things. And it's very nice when people have skin in the game and are providing feedback. 
So the first thing we're doing is iterating on their feedback, which I think over the next one to two months, we'll get a lot of what they're saying in. Um, and at the same time, we're prospecting for more clients. So we expect to close a few more over the next couple of months. We're not trying to go too big right now because we still need to get our more of our support processes in, uh, in place and we still need to make sure our features are truly a product market fit, right? And that's just gonna come from more iteration and testing and feedback yeah. and iteration and testing and feedback. Uh, so we're trying to go just patiently over the next couple of months and then hopefully ramp up more. Uh, we did our initial funding round in June successfully uh, for more friends and family. And so right now we're actually doing a secondary funding round. So we're raising right now, hopefully for a, a Q1 close. We started raising in December, try to get as many conversations as possible because, you know, Christmas time, New Year's, like any finance world that goes away. And so now we're back on track to uh, continue those conversations uh, right now. So all that, everything just moving on to the next step, uh, piece by piece. How are you finding when you're doing the raise? Is it taken away from uh, the your focus on the work? Does it take too much work uh, when, you, when you're kind of yeah. going after the raise? So... The first raise that we did, um, it's interesting because I think after being in the space for a little while, uh, your connections develop and also the way you talk about things, the way you access people and even your ability to give your own idea uh, changes. So I felt like the once I had the initial ideas and iteration, you know, the first slide deck really came naturally. Um, and as we started, I actually set out with the big spreadsheet of people to go fundraise from. But what was really interesting, and I feel really fortunate for the first round that we did, but as I just started talking to people, not for fundraising, just asking them or just talking to them like in normal conversation, I was connecting with a friend and he was talking about something. I told him what I'm up to, kind of conversation like this, not podcast, but um, he's like, what are you working on? I'm like, I'm doing this. Before we know it, we had our first round closed in, you know, a few weeks, which was really fortunate. Um, and so this this round uh, now, we've had a few people that have already successfully closed, but right now we're looking for a little bit more strategic capital as well. So a combination of reaching out to existing people, reaching out to some new people it does take time. Um, but, you know, it's a, there's lots of people to contact, right? And I think there's lots of places to get warm introductions uh, mm -hmm. from, from previous ventures and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's a, it's a mix. It's, and it's always good conversations because, you know, undoubtedly, you can hopefully get money, but also get some ideas along the way, right? And potential clients. Yeah. What what sort of key milestones do you think along the way, even before this idea that helped shape the kind of entrepreneur that you are today? Like if you look backward, back to how you got here, what are the yeah. key things that stand out for you? I've always been a mischievous individual. So as a, as a young kid, like I've always, I don't like to do anything that I, that I'm, I don't like, right? So... <laughs> If I don't like something, I don't end up doing it. And so throughout my whole life, I've always been drawn to my passions. My passions were, were like finance, food, uh, and then became technology and, and stuff like that. So I've been fortunate that my passions have been lucrative uh, in terms of the skills that I got to develop along the way. Um, but I think more fundamentally, I actually come from a pretty entrepreneurial family. So I was born in Vancouver, but raised in Kenya. And in Kenya, we had a butchery and a bistro and a delicatessen and that kind of stuff. So my dad uh, owned those different ventures. And from an early age, you would find me at like age six and seven in the back, cutting some meat and folding napkins and then going up and 
using my proceeds from my check to go in. Uh, I had like my first investment account when I was like 11 or 12. Oh, wow. And that's just, that was what, like these pictures of me standing in line to get an IPO for a fintech company in, in Kenya at like, you know, age 13. But that was just the things that I liked. And but I think I was always had that work ethic from an early age, just being in, in a family like that and always being exposed to, uh, to ventures like that. When we moved to Canada, uh, we set up another business and I was there by my dad's side, helping him do the financials and setting up the company and hiring employees and just working day in, day out in, in the business. So I think those kinds of things just shaped who I am. And every time I got a job post-university, because I had some different interests, I always found that I was using half my brain. So I was in the finance, you know, managing portfolios. So all the finance skills and client skills, but I wasn't using any of the tech skills. Try to make our websites and stuff like that, but that's just a little bit. And then same thing with some of the other ventures. And even the first startup is more tech stuff, but not fully finance stuff. And so today I feel like I'm using everything and that's, that's what makes me happy, I think. Oh, that's cool. How often, how, how much do you work? And do you look at work as work or is it, is it also fun for you and a joy? And how do you delineate? Yeah. It's always, uh, yeah, it's, it's fun for me. Um, I love working for myself. I love being involved with different ventures and doing really interesting things. So I guess the hours seem like a lot, but they pass by really fast. So I usually wake up every morning at like 5.30 or 6. I go for a run. Uh, I come back and that's usually my coding time. And I try to end the day at like five o'clock, four or five o'clock. So that ends up being like 12 hour days, I guess, but it doesn't feel like that, right? You're working from home, you're working on cool things, some stuff's reading, some stuff's talking to the team on Slack. Um, but that's usually how I work. And I try to really, you know, I think I went to a, process, a part in time in my journey where it was, you know, Slack in the evenings and working on the weekends and doing all of that. But I feel like I have a much more healthier balance now where I wake up really early, I exercise, I work for the whole day, weekends I keep clear, evenings I keep clear. And just because I'm not working on a side hustle, I'm working on my venture, I'm working on other ventures, that's what I do, right? I treat that like it's my full-time job uh, and then some. And so that's how I live my life now. That's awesome. What do you do with, with the time that you're not, you said you keep it clear? So the evenings, yeah. the weekends, what do you do? Uh, I like reading a lot. So uh, usually reading something or the other on my Kindle. Um, we just got a puppy uh, like this this week. So I've been taking her Congratulations. for yeah for some walks. Like to spend some time outdoors uh, if we can. So I moved to Toronto in in March. Uh, so we've been looking at different places. And some days you just relax and watch Netflix all day, right? <laughs> it's a it's a mix yeah. a mix of all the things uh, combined. It's very hard for an entrepreneur to. I mean, sometimes I find it hard for me to let go of my work. I know that there's things I want to do. So let go yeah, with yeah. five. Um, what do you do to, is that something you discovered? What is it that you discovered when you continue working and when you stop? What is there benefit that you discovered? How did it impact you as a person? Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, I guess these might be related, but there was one specific moment I remember like a year and a half ago where like, I think the startup was, you know, in full flight and I was always getting notifications, email notifications, phone notifications, vibrations, all this kind of stuff. And started like looking at like my day-to-day -day usage of my phone. And it's just crazy that one time I got this like, vibration in my pocket and just my body went like that. Right. And I just thought for a second, I'm like, 
that's like a weird reaction for like, I guess I'd have been in it the whole time, but I was like, that's like, that's like my phone is part of me. And that day I remember I shut off like all my notifications. I shut off all email notifications. I shut off all Slack notifications uh, and turned off all sounds on my phone. And I remember that being really clear to me. And that that's a point in time where, cause I, I do work really hard. Like I, like I said, I w- usually wake up really early. And so by five o'clock I'm like, conked out right like 10 o'clock I'm like fast asleep so one is just I'm naturally tired uh but the other is at that point in time I realized that you know keeping that even and clear actually made me uh better I got less tired I do like when I work during the day like my productivity in the morning is like super high and then you know everything happens and as things get busy through the day it gets less and less and less right um so this routine I found has just worked really well for me mm-hmm. uh, and that time 5 30 to 9 when the world is asleep i feel like 80 percent of the time 80 percent of the work really gets done uh, there and you compare that to an earlier time when you your productivity was not high uh, so in like during the previous kind of startup or yeah. stuff like that yeah i think it was just a uh, i wouldn't say the productivity wasn't high but i would say it would consume me more hmm. right so nothing my work my work ethic is the same I think just taking that time just allows your brain to reset, have a good night's sleep and tackle, right? It's a, bit of a, it's a marathon at the end of the day, not yeah, another sprint. Sure. I, I do find that, um, what was it? There's a book I read called Unstoppable and it talks about athletes and it talks about the value of rest. It was really eye-opening of, of how, yeah. how much you need to rest in order to, to prepare to spend that kind of effort and to... Uh, apply yourself to the things that matter to you yeah so so it's uh, totally i think it's it's easy to it's easy to get lost and i guess another thing that came out of that is and i was talking to my girlfriend with about this earlier this week but i think at a certain point in time you know sometimes people get value from having a full calendar or all their time is blocked off and i'm busy i'm busy i'm busy like i think at one point that is who i was and i was like man look at my calendar this week it's like jam-packed right like monday like nine to five monday to wednesday like i got i got like means all across but i think over time i've also become i've just become much more protective of my time and mm-hmm. what that's allowed is more concentrated work so right now if you look at my calendar there's not that many meetings they're spread out and actually i block full days off to do deep work that's literally what's blocked off in my calendar uh, and so just that reorganization of time i think has allowed me to spend more time with the family and uh, relationships now more time for the dog but also having that benefit of more concentrated time higher productivity by removing the things that aren't useful uh, and just being more protective of my time overall yeah and get a good sleep <laughs> so you you don't just work on your startup you also help other entrepreneurs in the capacity i think of advisor and certain elements yeah why do you do that? What attracts you to it? You, you talked a little bit about the, I, the joy of working on many things and getting them moving. Yeah. Uh, what is, is that the core reason? What, what else do you get out of it? And what are your observations from working with entrepreneurs? Like what are the key yeah. observations? So that, that's a good question. So most of the, the other companies I work with are under uh, a holding company I have called new ventures, which is just a, uh, just for me to hold the thing that matters, which is equity, right? Mm -hmm. So one thing that's very interesting is when I come into a company, I'm usually ground floor, uh, sometimes even before they're incorporated, 
right? Uh, and so what I can do is take somebody's idea and get them to an incorporated, fully functioning company. I can do some coding, help them with onboarding development team, all this kind of stuff. So what's in it for me is equity and specifically high percentage of equity at early starts. That's, that's what I like to go for. Hmm. Um, and so when I have that, I, the different companies I work with, I participate in different ways. In one case, I'm actually, we're going a bit slower, um, more steadily, but we're, I'm actually hands-on development. So developing the MVP, working with the team. Um, in another one, I'm just being more of the product lead. So we have a development team, but I'm helping the interface between business and technology, kind of managing that. Um, and in another case, we're just kind of getting off the ground. So, you know, just different components where I can help. I, obviously, everything within a time reason. Um, but I always find that there's different value I can add, uh, especially when it comes to time to get the company incorporated, write up all the legal agreements, help them raise capital and introduce them to people and then, you know, configure what we need to build. Technically, some cases, if I have time, I'll actually build some of it. Other cases, we'll work with some developers I know or people I know and kind of just take them off that journey. So it's like a mini, mm -hmm. mini incubator one, I suppose. Yeah, it sounds like it. How do you, with your startup and multiple startups that probably have different visions, uh, different ways of working together, different teams. How do you balance out and how do you switch between like the mindset, how you, you're working on your stuff and then suddenly there is something, let's say, that demands your attention on the startup. I'm very curious about how do you switch your attention and kind of the mindset to like, oh, now I need to work on this startup, which is in a completely different stage, different team, probably different energy altogether or culture. Uh, can you speak a little bit yeah. about that? I'm curious, because that's something I deal with a lot of yeah, times. Well. Yeah, it's a good question. And I don't think there's a secret answer to it. Uh, I would say, first of all, my my ventures with the highest equity, that always comes first, right? The things mm -hmm. that are, you know, the things that I'm working on that have the biggest reward for myself, that's going to come first, always. Um, and so most of my time is spent on ESG analytics, right? Mm -hmm. But with some of the other ones, you know, as they... I feel like everyone, they all go through different stages to get to a different place, right? Um, and so all of them kind of move at different paces and some are smaller teams, some are bigger teams. Um, so I just feel like things do tend to follow the same path with all the different startups, right? Because we're all building technology products and they're all Canadian based. So they really follow a similar structure, even if they're global, right? They just mm -hmm. follow a similar structure. So there's a lot of things that are, that are overlapped that I can just hand over uh, and bring over some experience uh, or even some documents in some cases, uh, those things are easy. And then other times, you know, we just try to find the natural place where we can, we can do more work. I think some things move at a higher velocity, some things don't. Um, and then as companies, as we go through different things, milestones like funding, uh, like one of the companies just got funded uh, right now. And so now we're able to pick up the pace, right? In that case, it's just trying to allocate more time or putting other people to help that road. Because I said, I, I try to focus on a specific area that like napkin to MVP, that's my, my sweet spot. And as soon as we have, you know, people that are smarter, better, faster, let's hire them, right? And take them on board. Um, but during those early days, I feel like there's a lot of areas where I can help in that don't necessarily require so much of my time, but require more of my experience. And that's what they say, right? Like, give me for my experience, not my time. Uh, yeah. That's how I think. That's how I see it.
That's a good way of thinking about it. How many startups are you currently supporting through that model in addition to? Uh, yeah, so right now it's uh, three startups I'm supporting and then I have my, and then I have ESG analytics. Oh, cool. Yeah. And what is, what is it that, let's say the next biggest milestones for you? So you're raising now the funding. What happens after? Where, where does this go? And if you can speak a little bit about the sector and your vision about that sector and how you can impact it. Yeah, so there's not very many people that are tackling the ESG space that we're thinking of. Uh, our company specifically, uh, from an investment point of view, has been set up for an acquisition. Uh, that's what we're going for. So the type of data that we're building, the type of technology that we're building, we see other big companies, big firms like Refintive, Bloomberg, to build this in-house at their stage takes so much time, so much effort, so much specialization, right? Uh, so we want to build something that can be acquired, but of course, if it doesn't get acquired, that's we're building a sustainable business uh, at the same time. Um, but that's that's where we see the future. Uh, and so when we think about where our next fund, round of funding gets us, it's really to push past going, you know, where the product is today, but really making it super usable and then getting to a stage where we can start to scale up and have the support, the customers and the additional data that we need. So that's gonna take obviously more time and resources. Um, and what I would love to do with the company, which is what a large part of the funding is for, is going back to kind of that earlier thing that got me into this. So we wanna build uh, alternative ESG indexes where here's your baskets of securities that represent specific ESG themes, specific ESG um, you know, areas where you can build ETFs, funds, and things off these, uh, these indexes. And that's going to take us all the way back to the start where here is your real sustainable ETF that represents your values and what you want to put your money into. We can do that. That's the, that's the end goal. Because our mission is to let capital flow to where it deserves, right? Or to those that deserve it. Uh, so that's kind of what we want to do. But from here, it's really just about scale and growth. Um, and we see the potential to have a few different offshoots of the business. So, um, you know, right now we're focused on ESG, but the actual underlying data infrastructure and mappings that we have can be uh, applied to different things like private equity and, and things like that. So today we focus on public companies, but we very quickly want to get into private, uh, private equity and venture capital. So private company ESG analysis, and that's a kind of an untouched space at the moment. Interesting. Uh, the, Two two more questions I have. One is like out of left field because you mentioned a little bit about crypto and your interest in in the space. Um, it's it's been exploding exploding in the past few months from a value perspective. But do you see because you're working as well with analytics and I would imagine there is some sort of element that has to do with the with the source of truth and and making sure of that data of the authenticity of that data and it's you know. Uh, not being not, not being able to kind of play around and manipulate it, especially when you want to yeah. depend on it to estimate, you know, to make financial decision. Do you see the future using blockchain, incorporating crypto as in everything like the crypto advocates see like, hey, it's going to be in everything. Do you see that? How far do you see it going? Just a, just curious yeah. about that because you you have that that play in, yeah. in that field. That's a that's a great question. I I feel like you know obviously the crypto world is moving fast and like a wave, and there's so many different innovations happening. 
I know even in the ESG space, like there is initiatives to create, let's say, blockchain-based trade-in of carbon credits for companies and countries. You know, there's things like that that's happening. More fundamentally, though, I've always thought that the future is blockchain-based data. So, you know, we've seen things where, you know, you have tamper-proof sensors, right, in, let's say, a, a little box where, let's say, for example, you're measuring water temperature and there's you know, a blockchain-based sensor there that's just tamper-proof. And every day that pings up to like the Ethereum blockchain. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I always imagine like, it'd be so cool for like city data, company data, if you have like these blockchain-proof tamper systems that are tamper-proof systems that are, you know, projected data day in, day out. And that's where the world is basing decisions on. That's a cool place to be, right? Um, and the more and more people do that, the more and more this, really open secure data comes in and allows us to base all these decisions that are you know authentic and we know that this greenhouse gas emission statistic came from these systems with these devices not this random estimate right those are i would love for the world to get that way i mean there's obviously pros and cons uh, along the way uh, but some authenticity i think yeah i really agree with that philosophy uh, that's that's what i see for the future interesting and Final, final question, which is two parts. One, you said you talked a little bit about some of the expensive mistakes that you that you had to go through to learn. Can you share one of these expensive mistakes that you and uh, and what did you learn from it? Yeah, I'm just trying to think fully, and I think one of the I would say the first product that we built at the at the previous startup it was early days, so and I can code, right? And so developing the MVP to two founders who love tech, but not necessarily were technology people. And I think this is the case for a lot of startups. Um, you know, the development period was hiring a team, right? Project management, multiple developers, mm. development leads. That quickly grows to, you know, five to 10 to 20, $30,000 a month yeah. and more in development costs to get to, to an MVP or even forget MVP, even to the first iteration of the product. And the feedback loop between that is very expensive because if you have developers working on something complicated, they come to the business side, you write requirements, developers do it. They come back with the iteration, you all review it, you see what changes need to be made, that goes to another iteration, then it comes in. That whole process takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of money. Um, and especially when you're trying to develop a concept early on. That's where I say like that, you know, use that ballpark of like $350,000. The way it works for me now is I have an idea and maybe I'll discuss it with some people on the team and I'll code it directly and developers will jump in and will iterate as we go along, right? I don't need to wait for requirements to come back to me. I can look at what I'm seeing, test it, make some changes that I want myself, do it. And the feedback loop gets cut down by like 20 times and the cost gets reduced by like a hundred times, mm. you know? Um, but I don't know how to, I would have ever known that uh, prior to, right? So yeah, I wouldn't, maybe it's not even an expensive mistake, but it's a, it's a investment learned experience, right? And I don't even see how it would be different for anyone else running the first startup, right? It's lucky that in Canada, we get some, some shred back. So you get a lot of that research and development time uh, back to you. So that's always a, that's always a nice plus. Um, and the second mistake, or not mistake, but um, 
yeah, I think we, I flew around the world a lot making sales. Um, yeah, you can do a lot from home. You can do a lot. You can do a lot by hiring the right people in the right places, um, both at home. And it's nice. Sure, sure, it's nice to go to conferences and do the business development that way, and you know, go to the different things in all the different cities. But after the first time, you, after the first few times you do it, at least for me. Uh, that wasn't really the appeal. You want to grow the business. And I think sometimes the best way to do that is staying home, doing some work and hiring the right people uh, to go and do that. That's very interesting. So final thing, if you look back to your younger self, younger entrepreneur, what are the things that you know now that you would have told that younger self, hey, focus on this or, you know, be it, pay attention to that. Uh, yeah. that, that you lessons learned basically uh, aside from the one you shared like some big lessons learned for you as an entrepreneur and someone who develops ideas yeah I would have said you know learn more computer science as a, at an earlier age that's a that's probably an easier one because uh, it's just it's just powerful and yeah I think I would have just told the person to just you know keep keep being mischievous right like keep uh, like I like to be what's known as like a trickster right and don't change that personality, right? Just keep keep trying to disturb things and, and mess things up. And I guess don't don't worry too much about the future path because it's pretty, it's like almost like a random walk. So I learned later on in life that the five-year, well, for me, the five-year plan is like toss out the window. Like I don't even know what's happening like next week. But yeah, if that person knew that earlier on, maybe they'd just be a little bit more relaxed and, and just know that their passions would kind of take them along some random walk in life and It'll probably be okay. That's awesome. Thank you, Kayum. I really, really enjoyed the conversation with you. Yeah, same here. Uh, thanks for being here. And uh, I'm looking forward to the next one. Yeah, same here. Same here. And good luck with the, the book, the podcast, and all of that. It's really good to catch up. Thanks. <laughs>